0: Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter.com at Braden Gall. And I'm Michael Gallagher with Nashville Hockey Now. You can follow
1: me on Twitter at Sports underscore.
0: Joining us again on the pod, happy to have her. Emma Lingan, here on the show from the Hockey Writers. Emma, how are you? Welcome to the show. How are you?
2: I'm great. Thanks for having me again.
0: I wish we had more fun things to talk about today. Uh, last time we got together, we had a wonderful, I thought, conversation about the Preds organization and Andrew Burnett's system taking root and sort of the players buying in and the pace being fast and all that other stuff. Um, and they won a bunch of games for a while. And Michael and I've been warning folks to be careful about this, but they are now 4-5-1 and one in their last 10. They are giving up way too many goals in the first period, and they're terrible at playing hockey at Bridgestone Arena. So we will get to all of that. Questions about UC Soros. Mike, I know you've got some more stuff that we talked a little bit about this last week in terms of Askaroff and 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 Soros playing together and what we should do with Kevin Lankin, what we'd like to see the Preds do with Kevin And So we'll get to that as well. Before we do that, however, Emma, the goal standard is brought to you by... Jaspers. That's right. Michael has been to Jaspers now multiple times. Three times. Three three times. Which is as many goals as the Preds score every night and still lose. Emma, have you been to Jaspers yet?
2: I have not yet. That's still on my to do list.
0: All right. We're gonna. The company's taking you to Jasper soon. That's what we're. Gonna I need to.
2: With. I need to try that giant mozzarella stick you were telling me about.
0: <laughs> um. Okay. The so, last go, time I was there, someone ordered
1: that, and I swear, if if someone breaks into your house, you could beat a burglar to death with that thing. That thing is
0: huge. It's very intimidating. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> it, it's quite intimidating. Emma. It's a large, <laughs> large cheese stick. I think you get two of them. Actually, you do. Um, yes. They're like uh, they're, a freaking baseball bat, man. I'm telling you. Oh, it's delicious. It's delicious. Uh, I am past the point of being able to eat that much fried cheese at one time, but my God, it's so good. It's it's so good. And of course, this past weekend was the national championship game. And my um, tradition when I watch the national championship game is chicken wings. You've got killer chicken wings from Jasper's. Of course, you can order them. You can cater a meal if you've got a playoff game coming up. Certainly the Titans are not playing in any of them. But um, if you want to watch Super Bowl, you got a watch party coming up. Best way to do that, of course, is to have your party catered by Jaspers. You can get like 20 people fed. I've done it at my house. You can get like 10 adults and 10 kids fed for like less than 200 bucks. They'll deliver the food to you to your house. You can get chicken wings. You can get turkey sliders. You can get wraps. You can get queso. You can get pork rinds. All kinds of awesome stuff. The kids will be happy with the chicken tenders. The adults are happy with the chicken wings. Uh, as we talked about on our previous episode, uh, I'm a chicken wings person, and we're not going to go rehash that debate because you guys are wrong. But I'm glad to have you on the show to discuss all the fun and amazing things that are happening with the Nashville Predators. <laughs> um, I'll just, I'm just, I want to get, I, I want you guys both to have time to explore the studio space here, but. I went to the Calgary game uh, on Thursday as like a fan for the first time in a very long time going to, the, to a game there. And number one, the attendance numbers, like butts and seats, eh, <laughs> not sure I'm buying the numbers that are being distributed. Uh, much of the lower bowl was empty. And part of the reason why I'm assuming is because they played one of the worst periods of defensive hockey I've ever seen in person in my life. UC Saros wasn't good, wasn't like it wasn't all his fault, but he wasn't good. Didn't make easy saves in the slot. And the defense was atrocious. It was terrible. I've never seen. It. In fact, they gave up three goals. I think one of them was on the power play. I think they actually gave up two goals on the same power play and the refs didn't even catch it. And so really, they gave up an extra goal in that first period. I say all of that to say the entire team said that Tuesday night's loss to Anaheim was actually the worst first period that they played all season. So are we saying that the worst two periods of hockey, first period hockey, that this team has played the entire year took place in the last two home games at Bridgeton Arena? I think that's a fair assessment.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate, but I think you're right. Um, you know, I think especially with the the first period against Anaheim last night, Uh, like you said, after, after the Calgary game, you think, okay, surely it can't get any worse than this. And then sure enough, it did. It was not good.
0: Michael had one sentence on the entire, (laughs) like the entire atrocious defensive first period hockey. Michael was like, yeah, it was bad.
1: Well, usually when I try to like dive in and start talking about specifics, you're like, hold on, we're going to talk about that in a second. And you know,
0: this is your time. I said, this is your time to explore the studio space. Go for it.
1: I mean, yeah, the Calgary game was really bad. You give up four first period goals. Connor Zary, Blake Coleman, Cadre and Anderson. Just they, they made it look so easy. And Forsberg and Sissons tried, they got, they got two goals in that first period. But I mean, there's not really much you can do when the defense, it just, to me, when I watch them, at least the last two weeks, They've played very. I don't know what the term for it is. They just they seem very loosey goosey in the defensive zone. Like they're very nonchalant. They're, there's no urgency to get in front of the goal. And we've talked about this the last couple of years with this team. They were like this with with Renee, and now they're like that. They're like this with Saros, where the the goalie is almost so good that they expect that they can not give a full effort because the goalie is so good. He's gonna he's gonna bail them out, and we're seeing. Saros, in my opinion, is having a harder time adjusting to the system uh, than we originally thought. And because of that, he's not making some of the routine saves he normally is. He's letting in some soft goals and stuff. So, uh, yeah, uh, I I don't want to know. I don't know what percentage you would assign it to. A lot of it is Saros, but a lot of it is the way the defense is constructed in front of him and just how nonchalant and different they're kind of playing in front of him, which is weird to say about a Predators team because they're known for defense and goaltending. But it's just not there this year.
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, like you said, may be hard to pin an exact percentage on it as far as how much of it is Soros and how much of it is defense. I think the two aren't at all unrelated, though. I think if one starts to step it up, so will the other. And, you know, it might be more of a chicken and egg kind of situation. But I think that, you know, what we're seeing specifically against Anaheim, in that first period, gave up three first period goals, obviously not good. The first one, I think you could, you could say that was Soros. That was a pretty routine save. He should have made, uh, I think it was Terry went five hole. Like that was that Soros should have made that the rest of them though. I really don't think I can put that on Soros. I mean, McTavish had an unreal angle on the power play. I mean, you'd have to be a wizard to be able to stop that. And then I think three of their five goals went, three of Anaheim's five goals went off of either the skate or the stick of a Predators defenseman, which, I mean, you know, it happens sometimes that's hockey, like, but for it to happen three times in one game, I think that that is kind of indicative. Like you said, that they're playing a little too loose, a little too nonchalant and that that shouldn't be happening.
0: Well, they have scored at least three goals in six straight games but they've lost, I think, four of those six games. And if I'd have told you this team was going to score six, three goals per game, I think most Predators fans with that particular group of forwards heading into the season would say, sign me up, I'll take 3.0 goals per game, probably about middle of the NHL, but probably better than we expected for a young team developing with the new coach, et cetera, et cetera. But no, to your point, Michael, like nobody expected this on the defensive side of things, especially not with guys. I mean, I know McDonough missed some time, but they corrected the ship and Shen missed some time. How valuable is he? I'm not sure. I think he's fine. But to your point, Emma, there was a couple of saves that were not on Soros in the Calgary game. But I remember one where, and this is what I felt watching it. There was one where the the it was like a two on one or a two on two, even. And you know, I can't remember who it was for Calgary, but he's going down the right side and he cuts to the middle of the ice and like Fabro just like falls on his face, I think. <laughs> like he just like falls down. And I was, I was like, that's terrible defense. So that is hanging your goaltender out to dry. But at the same time, we are so used to Soros in that moment making the play. And the guy is standing in the, the slot, high danger chance, point blank. Other defenseman has to make sure it's not a pass so he gets a clean shot. We're just so used to Soros making that save. And you just can't, I don't know how, like, you can't do this for 82 games and expect your goaltender to bail you out the entire time. It is one of the worst defensive periods of hockey I've ever seen and they all said that this past week was worse against Anaheim. So I don't even know what to add to the conversation. I mean, I think you're
1: you're part of the problem too is 37% of the goals they've given up this year have been high danger goals. And you're looking at a team that if if the NHL edge diagram is correct, Saros's save percentage in high danger uh, opportunities is 788. That's below average for for any goaltender but definitely below average for him and and shot or goal. Yeah. Shots that are taken in the crease. He has a 696, say percentage. So it's not just that, that Saros isn't making some of these saves. It's the, it's the saves. It's the fact that the defense is allowing teams to tee off on him from such close range. That's a big problem. And we've talked about, you know, Andrew Burnett's new system and how the defense is kind of struggling with the timing and the spacing and just being in the right spot and, and positioning and all that. Like now we're really starting to see what happens when that stuff is really, really off because for Saros to allow that many high danger goals and have that low of a high danger save percentage. Like that's not all just him. Like he can only do so much if he's getting teed off from, you know, that close range, the defense needs to do something. I don't know if, if, if Andrew Burnett needs to work specifically with defensive positioning or what the, the solution here is, but you can't let your, you can't hang your goaltender out to dry and let him try to fend everybody off from three feet in front of the goal.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think, even if you look at the the numbers against Anaheim from natural stat trick i think for the first two periods cuz the preds didn't even get on the board until the third halfway through the third period against Anaheim so if you look at those first two periods i think the expected goals against for them was 1.8 and and Anaheim had scored 4 already and again a lot of that is you know little mistakes going off a skate going off a stick but that's where like you said, kind of comes in, maybe, maybe you work on positioning, maybe you work on, I, I really don't know the answer. And being in the locker room last night, I mean, everyone was visibly pissed off and I mean, they should be, I think it's, you know, a lot of the, at this point, it's pretty inexcusable to have this much inconsistency uh, with, with the way that they play. And, you know, normally, I think if you look at last year's predators team, if I told you that they had you know, been outscored all game and then they made a three-goal push in the third period, I think I would have been pretty happy about that if it was last year's team because um, that team did not know how to finish games. And now you have a team that scores three times in the second half of the third period. And normally I'd want to say that that's impressive, but it's really not. I mean, because they never should have been in that position in the first place, I don't think. And, and I think you're seeing, like you said, it's, it's, we're officially at the halfway point of the season. We still don't really know who this team is. I don't think, you know, there's been too much inconsistency with defense, with scoring, with goaltending. It's, and even, I think it was Ryan McDonough said it after the game against Anaheim that, you know, we're halfway through the season. Like there should be enough lessons learned at this point. You know, you can't really blame it on growing pains or anything like that at this point. I mean. Nothing is new at this point, and I think that they really need to work on getting this this consistency down.
0: I I mean, if they're not gonna if they're not gonna blame the growing pains and the newness, then I'm I'm not I'm sure as hell not gonna do it. Um, I I think what's interesting, and and obviously, if you're a Predators fan, I guess you take some comfort in the team being pissed off uh, about how they're how they're playing. You you see, Staros going back to him for just a second because I I do want to ask you guys. If we take away the system as the the thing, right? It's a fast up tempo system. You're going to play fast, and so that means you're going to give up more chances. That's a that's that's true in soccer. It's true in basketball. It's true in hockey. It's just how how the game works when offense and defense are on the on the playing surface at the same time. If you take that away from it, like, and now we're taking the growing pains away from it, the way the players are outside of Soros. What else is there to be done? I mean, at this at the the last thing we're saying is. Is just the players have to be better? Like, I don't, they're not good enough. Like, what's, what is another reason we can add to this to make, to make some sense of it? Because I got, I got some Saros numbers here that make absolutely no sense, but I I just want to, is there anything else we're missing here besides growing pains, which now are not eligible anymore? They're on IR. And, and, and of course, yeah, exactly. Uh, and of course, the, (laughs) you've got, uh, uh, what am I talking about here? The system. The system. We've already talked about the system. So move the system off the table as well. What What else could it be?
1: I, I think there's two things that I would probably point to. One is, and Andrew Burnett's addressed this a number of times, It's it's taking the dumb penalties. He said he can live with the effort penalties if you get a, a tripping call because you're trying to hustle and stop a, a breakaway or something like that. But some of the dumb penalties, the roughing, and and they can't help some of the embellishment calls. But I mean, the NHL needs to address if you call if you call a penalty on someone, how can you call a skater for embellishment that the penalty was on? They've had a couple of those calls go go that go that way for them. But taking some of the dumb penalties that Andrew Burnett's talked about that aren't effort penalties. And I think the other thing, the big thing for me that I notice it's just the giveaways. They lead the league in giveaways with 386 and out of those 386 200 of them have come in the defensive zone. That is that is inexcusable. Yeah. That is sloppy. That is just I don't know if you want to call it lack of effort just not being prepared, whatever you want to call it that 200 out of 386 giveaways happen in your defensive zone that that's a, that's an everybody problem not just a one person and that's certainly not Saros's issue.
2: Yeah, I would have to agree. If you're looking at other issues outside of the crease, I would look at defense first. And it's, I think what's so upsetting about it is you look at the Predators' defense on paper by its parts individually. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't look like this. It shouldn't be this bad. But, you know, they're giving away, like you said, they're giving away so many pucks. There's so many neutral zone turnovers too. There's just, it's, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I mean, it's definitely something that is evident and there's a lot of chasing. There's a lot of puck chasing that shouldn't be happening, especially if in a system that is so dedicated to puck possession. And, and I think that you, you said, I mean, it lately they've just looked really sloppy, really sleepy. And you really can't start like that. You can't start off sleepy because then, you know, you're, going to yep. be playing catch up the whole game. You're trying to chase a moving train and that's not, that's not going to put anyone in a position to succeed. Really.
0: Uh, UC UC Saros gold say goals saved above average. Of course, this is according to, to hockey reference and the last three years Saros has been top five in the NHL overall last year. He had almost a 30 goals saved above average, which put him at number five, which frankly any other year might be number one. Uh, just very good goaltending season for the NHL across the board last year. The year before that, 23, I think it's 22.9, 23, basically. He was fifth in the NHL, goals saved above average. The year before that, he was third in the NHL at 21 point something. I don't have the decimal point in front of me, but basically just over a shade over 21 uh, in terms of uh, goals saved above expected. He is 44th in the NHL this year with a negative 3.57 goals saved Above average. He's never had a negative goal saved above average in his entire career. He's not even close. So if you just look at just that metric, which again I'm not suggesting is everything, but it is just telling you that he is he's wildly below his own average. So this leads me to the question. And I am gonna get you, Emma, to introduce uh the the pup here in just a second. So we'll we'll do that in just a second. But if because I know Michael has like Hundred and seventy pounds worth of dog walking around somewhere in the, somewhere in the house over there. Multiple um, well, dogs, not one dog. Right, that's true. That's true. Uh, can they play? Can they play goalie? <laughs> this is the question. Um, Honestly, it, one it, of them can. It takes us back, and you kind of hinted this last week that you think the right move potentially for the Preds would be to trade Kevin in, keep UC Soros, re-sign him, which could be a seven or eight million dollar cap hit, and then bring up a scar off and have him do the UC Soros Pekarene thing for a couple of years. I, we, we are now over a half a season of what is absolutely the worst UC Saros. Some of that has to be the new system. Some of that is clearly the, the defense that we're talking about, but much of this is on him. The, the penalty kill, to your point, uh, three for nine in their last three games, obviously it's right around 78% the entire season. It's been one of the worst in the NHL the whole year, so that's not helping either. But Saros has been a huge part of the problem. Have you changed at all in the last couple of weeks Watching Soros play 2-5-1 and one in his last seven, 85% save percentage, 30 goals in eight games allowed, and and ben, he's been pulled five times now? Did I say last week that I would keep Soros?
1: <laughs> Is that what I said? I honestly, I honestly don't remember. You said
0: you were going to give him $8 million a year.
1: <laughs> I don't want to overreact to the last week, but I, yes, I've I changed my mind. And I'm I'm thinking about long term, big picture. If this is the system as it's going to be run, and you would like to think the defensive results are going to be better, but like like Emma said, I mean, we're halfway through the season now. Like this is this is beyond just growing pains. This is kind of this is this is who they are right now. Until until they fix things and go on a run and, and prove otherwise, like this is what you kind of expect. So if this is going to be how Soros plays and how the defense plays in front of him, and I don't want to overreact to one game, but Askarov looked a lot more comfortable in his start. He is a little bit quicker for, for, for whatever reason. The defense has its issues, but Saros looks like he's having issues tracking the puck. He looks like he's having issues with his reaction time. He looks like he's having issues just with the the volume of shots that are coming at him and the different angles and the different parts of the ice where they're coming from. There just seems to be too many variables of what needs to be fixed with Saros. And, and again, the defense needs to, to do their part as well. But right now, it just seems like there's just too many question marks of what if, can we get this fixed? Can this be something that's worked out or whatever? That if I'm going long term for the, for the sake of the franchise, I would probably trade Soros now because his, his, his trade value is probably never going to be higher than it is right now. You have someone in Oscarov who runs a very similar system in Milwaukee. Uh, Carl Taylor said at the beginning of the year that he, they worked out an 80-20 thing with, with Trotz and Brunette where 80% is what the Predators run, and he has that 20% of freedom to install what he wants to do. But for the most part, Milwaukee's running the same exact system, the same exact way, doing the same exact thing Nashville is. If I'm thinking long-term, big picture, I mean, you you, you at least got to entertain the idea that Ascarov might be the better option long-term, especially if this is who Saros is and, and the way Andrew Brunette likes to run things trade him now, get what you can and build around the young goaltender and save yourself $5 million a year. Or, Well, if you're going to pay him $8 million a year in his next extension, like you're going to save a lot of money with a scarf. So I, I would at least consider that. I, I won't go that I would absolutely do that right now, but it's at least
0: at the forefront of my mind. You're, you're acting very much like the previous host on this show, just letting one week of action completely change your mind. About everything. Well, it's not uh, based on one week. I've been saying this no, for, know, last, for the last
1: month. Like this is an issue. If Saros is playing like this and the defense is playing like this in front of him, like something's got to give. You you can't change the entire defense. You have the players you yeah. have. Kevin Lakin's had a little bit more success than Saros, so maybe it's just like he's just not a fit for the system.
0: Like Tyson Barry's not a fit on the defense. I don't know. You might be able to trade like three of the defensive players. Uh Emma, where try to be and be honest with us here. What where, where were you on the uh, succession plan in net with UC Saros having one more year in his contract, a potential, another big deal for him, maybe his biggest, maybe his last biggest coming uh, at the end of next season, Askarov getting his debut at Bridgestone Arena and winning a game and looking like he's got all the tools that we expected him to have. Lincoln and being probably better um, than people expect, probably better than most backups in the NHL and certainly much cheaper than Saros. Where were you before? If we asked you this last week, can you be honest with us with with what your plan would have been?
2: Well, this might not be as interesting or as spicy of an answer, but I, I could tell you where I was before. I also don't think that my plan or my stance on this has really changed, even given the last week. I will admit I am a bit of a UC Sorrows homer. I still believe in him. I still believe that... I believe that the team loves him. I believe that Barry Trotz loves him. And I believe if you look at the rest of the NHL right now, goaltending, good goaltending is really hard to find, like harder than ever at this point. And I don't think in the current landscape, I don't think, you know, I I love a scar off too. Don't get me wrong. I I'm still not sold on him being completely NHL ready yet. Not saying he won't be ever, but I'm just saying right now, I don't know that he's ready. Um, Like I said, I think I really like Saros. I say they stick with him. And while I, I don't disagree with anything that has just been said about how he's had a recent dip in his performance and, you know, he's probably the worst that he's looked really in a long time. Totally agree. Um, I would still consider any, you know, serious talk about trading him now to be a little bit of an overreaction. Um, but I also think, you know, with, with Lankanen going back to what you said about him, he has been better than expected. And you talk about maybe Soros issues with his reaction time with his puck tracking. You know, if you kind of look at the flip side of that Lankanen, at least to me, just based on the eye test, his. Puck handling has gotten so much better year over year from last year. Last year, you could see he could block and stop a lot of pucks, but then he couldn't really keep track of them or keep them under control. He's gotten so much better at that. I think, like I said, if you look at the landscape of the NHL right now, you look at the fact that there are a lot of teams who need good goalies. I don't think you give up a, you know, a Vezina caliber goalie like you have. I think you can still trade Lankanen, get a lot of value for him, uh, without potentially giving up as much. Uh, w- considering that he's only you know on a one year deal right now, yeah. and I that that would be my stance. It was my stance before. It's still my stance now. So sorry, I haven't uh, overreacted in the last week.
0: <laughs> no, I, th- I think the fact that you're saying it now after the last week or two gives you credibility on this, because I was the trade Saros before the last couple of weeks. And honestly, the one thing I'll disagree with you on, Michael, is like this is not the best value you're going to get for Saros. He is... I, I I don't think the general managers and coaches look at small chunks of, of statistical data and and make decisions on that. They do it based on bodies of work, entire careers. So to your point, he, he's got a great contract situation and has still got a great resume under his belt. But maybe you wait for him to have a good week or two. <laughs> he just... Wait for him to have a couple good weeks and then you know that's ultimately when you make the move. It also in theory, if it doesn't work out at all and Askarov needs time and and has is not capable of holding the fort down or whatever, if you do go down the Soros trade route, it does eventually help the rebuild in theory because you then move up the draft, which again is not a reason to do anything, but it's a sort of um, conciliatory secondary benefit. Right. If if you get a whole lot of shit in return for sorrows, you get to escalate your development of your star prospect and if the team sucks, well, you get a better draft pick out of the deal. I'm, again, you don't do that as the reason, but it is a side mild benefit for lack I of would it. I would
1: counter that by saying, haven't we been waiting for him to have a good week or two since the beginning of the year,
0: basically? Except He's had for, a couple good weeks? Come on now. He, except he was, for a, he
2: was one of the NHL Players of the Week Yeah, last month. December like
0: December
1: third through December 16th, <laughs> he had a really good stretch. But other than that, he hasn't he hasn't been good. He I had guess, two I games guess. in October where he had where he allowed two goals or fewer, but everything else, three, four, five, six, three, three, four, five, five. He's and I know I don't want to overreact to just the recency bias here, but he's allowed five or more goals in four of his last five starts and five of his last eight starts. He has a save percentage below eighty-five in four of his last five starts. Like I, I I feel like we've been waiting on Saros to figure it out for a while now, and for the first month of the season, it's like, oh, he's a slow starter. This is how it is. He's going to get better. He has a, gu- a good game or two, and it's like, well, the defense is hanging him out to dry. It's been like this for a while now. He, yes, he had a really good two week stretch in the beginning of December, but other than that, like that's the outlier. Other than that, he's had a below average season except for the except from the beginning of December to December
0: twelfth. I am going to force you both to give me something positive. But for now, I'm going to tell everyone because apparently everything sucks. Uh, go to Jaspers and don't pay for parking. That doesn't suck. That's cool. Uh, you got a game room in there with skee-ball, pop a shot, uh, shuffleboard, life-size Jenga, life-size Connect 4, big old big screen up there. You can watch NFL playoff games every weekend from here on out for the next few weeks. Um, you can Obviously, you can do watch party stuff over there as well. Uh, they've got the best air hockey table in the entire city. It is brand new. And please do not trap the puck. Or put your cup or your beer on the goddamn table, uh, pardon my language, um, and then they've got uh, all kinds of other good stuff over there as well. So, if you need to drown your sorrows because you are watching this team, um, I know the people I were with, I was with on against Calgary, were not. They they were not happy. <laughs> Left early and wanted more beer, uh, and I was like, hey, I got a place for you guys. I know where we could go, um, and we head on, headed on over to West End and finished off the night in style. So uh, go to Jasper's. Okay, Emma, I need you to... I don't think we've ever done this on the show, Michael, either for you or me. We need to introduce the dogs because the dog made an appearance on the pod just a few minutes ago. So Emma, go to Jasper's, of course, and I'm going to get you guys to say some positive stuff. Uh, Let's introduce introduce the pups all around here on the podcast because we are pro-dog here on the Gold Standard.
2: So my dog... I almost don't want to say her name because she's actually being quiet right now. um, but she made a little appearance earlier in the show. Uh, she obviously had a lot to say uh was very uh, you know, not pleased with with the way the predators uh, have been playing as of late. uh, but her name is Minka. uh you probably okay. heard her earlier. All right. she is named after Minka Fitzpatrick, which is topical because he did play. College football at Alabama under uh, under Nick Saban, who we That's just right. learned in the process of recording this, <laughs> is going to be retiring. So it's a nice topical tie-in. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, breaking, I,
0: breaking news on the pod: we we're recording this yes. uh, during the Nick Saban retirement announcement while the internet breaks. So <laughs> yes. we're just going to keep talking about UC Saros's goals against average.
2: Yes. Uh, <laughs> and my and you know my tangentially related uh name of my dog that you are know, you just...
0: Steelers? Are you Ste- Stella's Finn or where did he uh, was he drafted by the Dolphins originally? Who drafted him originally?
2: Yeah, the Dolphins. Uh, it's so I am a big Steelers fan. Okay. I'll be honest. I, I mean, I like Minka Fitzpatrick. He's great. I just have to hope that he, you know, kind of bucks the trend of NFL players and continues to be not problematic uh, because then I <laughs> will have to tell people that my dog is named after someone else. But I think that it, it was more that I needed a Steelers name that worked for a girl and gotcha. she's a girl dog. Gotcha. So Minka, Minka was what I landed Big,
0: on. Big Ben would not have gone well. I got it. Okay. <laughs> no,
2: Troy, you know, this. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what kind of, what kind of dog you got?
2: Um. She, she is, is a, mut- a a bit of a mixed bag, yeah. She's a rescue, so yes. she's definitely a a collection of a bunch of different types of herding dogs
0: for sure. Michael, and you have two massive monsters, right, at the house? I do, yeah.
1: So I have Henry, who is a black lab, and he is he's three, and I think he's like eighty five ish pounds. And then we have Lionel, who is a great pyrenees hound mix who is bigger than henry he's probably about 90 pounds now and he he looks like he's white and black so he looks like a big fuzzy dalmatian but he he's huge like we got him when he was a puppy and this was like last like right before christmas last year and he was tiny and we're like oh he's he's probably not gonna be bigger than henry now he's he's even bigger
0: than henry is so so i was about right with the 170 pounds is what you're saying almost almost spot on (laughs) they're big boys um, again, we will talk practice and we'll make, uh, make some positivity out of this whole deal. Um, uh, my dog is also named Henry, uh, and he is a Tennessee Brown dog. As we like to say, he's probably occasionally made an appearance on the show, uh, before he's about 65 pounds or so, maybe down cause he's getting older and he's getting lazy. So he's like losing some weight. He's not quite as active anymore, but, uh, we found him on the side of the road and about 10 years ago, my wife and I, and he's been, a, been in the family raising the kids ever since. So. All th- lots of pro dogs on the on the on the pod, and since Minka made it made her feelings felt about uh, about how the defense is playing, I thought we'd introduce her uh, since Michael and I have never actually done that to our audience, so we figured we'd do that. And what better time to do that than when you've given up 14 goals in three games since the well, last time we talked?
2: I I have to apologize. Minka's is not used to not being the center of attention for more than five seconds, so I think she just had to make her presence known. So I apologize on her well, behalf
0: they do allow dogs on the patio at Jasper's because Jasper is actually the name of Deb Paquette's dog, which is where the name of the restaurant came from. And she's the chef for four top hospitality that has done an amazing job putting together menus all over the city at etch, etc., cetera, char, uh, Jasper's, you name it, her fingerprints, uh, and chef work are all over the place. Um, let me just to, to go right from the chef's kitchen into, uh, both of your kitchens. You guys are both writing about the team now and Nashville Hockey Now, and of course, and the Hockey Writers. What are you guys cooking up here, for lack of a better cheesy cliche? What do we got coming up on the websites for everybody?
1: I'm currently working on, given the the news that Frank Valley dropped on Tuesday, with Trevor Zegras being on the trade block, I'm doing a for fun column of should the Predators go and go all in and go get Trevor Zegras? Those of you who don't know who he is, living under a rock, 22-year-old center with the Ducks, who, very flashy, likes to, to score Michigan goals, and he's just... He's, he's. I feel like he he fits the mold of the young franchise number one center that Barry Trox has said over and over. This team has not had. The Ducks are clearly selling low on him. He has a reputation of clashing with head coaches, and uh, for whatever reason, it's just not working in Anaheim. And they've made it well known that they kind of want to get rid of him. So I feel like now if they're going to go get someone like that, now is the perfect time to go and do it. So I'm just going to throw together a column on that. Um, see if it makes sense. Maybe Andrew Burnett can work his magic and get something out of his tra- Trevor Zegers that whatever the, the Ducks coaches have been able to do. And then I also have another one uh, talking about a little bit we did with the goaltenders with Kevin Lincoln and specifically um, talking to just a couple people around the league. I, I feel like he is gaining some traction on, on, on trade whispers and stuff. Uh, so probably, probably put out a story on what his trade value could be, what teams could possibly be interested in him, what the succession plan would look like if he is in fact traded, which I don't think he will be before the deadline. I think if they do trade him, it'll be around that time because – you have Askarov and Troy Grosnick in the AHL and that's it. So if you trade Lincoln and now you're going to have to call one of them up and sign another goaltender from somewhere. So it doesn't make sense to do the move now, but that's more of a, a look ahead of what to expect over the next probably month and a half.
2: And for me, I am working on kind of something that we haven't talked about as much on the show here and really hasn't gotten a ton of attention in general, just because it's the kind of thing that doesn't always show up on the score sheet and isn't as obvious, but on the the defensive side, uh, Jeremy Lasan is having a hell of a year for the Preds, and I think you know he's he's matched his career high in goals, which I think is three. So yay, but it's <laughs> it's less about his offensive production, um, although he has had that. I mean, he's got three goals already, which it took him all season to get last year. But I think you know, on top of that, if you look at he leads the NHL in hits. And he doesn't just lead them in hits, he leads them by a mile. Like I think the next closest guy is former pred Tanner Janot. And he has like 20 or 21 fewer hits than Lazanne does. And you're starting to see it now. It's really cool how Lazan is starting to get a bit of a reputation around the league. And guys are kind of scared of him and they they don't want to come near him. And it's almost like you hear the footsteps or you hear the, the hoofbeats in the background and you kind of go running and I think that you know we we saw it even he had a a nice uh, hit I guess I don't know if nice is the right word but on former Pred Matt Duchene when they played Dallas last week and um, you can kind of see there's you know no no Mister Nice Guy for him but you know and and I've talked to him and I've asked him about. You know, how do you like kind of being that guy that people are scared of? And his face just lights up. He's like, oh, I love it. I love it. And, you know, it, he wants that kind of reputation for being hard to play against. So I've been talking to him and his defensive partner, Alex Carrier, to kind of get a better picture of him and, and how he has developed his game over the last year. And then I'm also working on something with uh, the unofficially named roommate line of Cole Smith. Luke Evangelista and Tommy Novak um, who haven't been as productive as of late, but um, you know, it's, it's still an interesting story and, and how, how much chemistry those guys have with each other off the ice that translates on the ice and, uh, even though Vange has moved out uh, and he no longer is one of their roommates. They said he's still an honorary roommate and he's still invited back for dinner whenever he wants to come. Uh Cole Smith is the chef. So um <laughs> I think is it's, it's Sounds cool like that Yeah. He's uh he's very dialed in, very into nutrition. He probably would not want to know what I eat on a regular basis, but <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that that it's cool to kind of get guys perspectives on on each other you know outside of the rink a little bit so that's what's coming up for me
0: good stuff for both you guys again nashville hockey now and the hockey writers Uh, i'll go check out both of those uh spots there good stuff for hockey from both of you guys Uh, michael should i I guess we'll allow the vange on the pod uh because you're sort of you know you've you've crossed the street recently emma so we will we'll allow the nickname for now I don't know how long that will be allowed on the pod before there'll be like demerits or like a cuss jar or something like a nickname jar. We might have to put together. I don't know. I like, can
2: I can start calling him Pretty Boy Vincenzo again. That's if you actually want. That, go with that. <laughs> I,
0: I I like that a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> At uh, one
2: point last year, when I was on the road with the team, so Lu- Luke his name (laughs) um luke listens to a lot of rap and uh but it's like he's gen z so it's like rappers i've never heard of and half the guys on the team have never heard of uh (laughs) cody glass was trying to get something going for calling him something like little uzi vert but it was like little lukey vert or something like that and that didn't gain much traction and uh I, i think it's pretty easy to see why
0: that nickname is about as well as Cody glass played on Tuesday night. Um, that's a little, does yeah. that, that mean spirited? That's the mean spirited. I'm sorry.
2: That's a little mean. That's a little I bit of a low blow.
0: <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. I didn't mean it that way. Uh, I, I would love, like, I'm trying to think of a player. It's like, I would love to like Vern Fiddler. To try to listen to like Luke Evangelista's playlist, <laughs> just see <laughs> see what Cody McCloud thinks of Luke Evangelista's playlist.
2: <laughs> Every time I, you know, forget how old I am, he is right there to remind me. Because I'll be like, "Oh, who are you listening to?" And he'll and I think I'm relative. I mean, I'm not, you know, a super diehard rap fan, but like I'm I'm I know the the names, and he'll rattle off like four names and people i've never heard of and i'm like oh all right cool well i'm ancient
0: good well, to know and, and thank you both because i'm older than both of you by a pretty <laughs> clear margin so uh mike what kind of hip-hop are you listening to these days <laughs> none <laughs> i went to a killer mike show at the ryman does that count as like being young and ish and trendy ish or that's not that's not young enough and if you and have because, to ask if it counts then yeah it <laughs> yeah i guess you're right you're probably right i'm okay with that i'm comfortable in my middle-aged dad like situation here i'm fine with that um it's all right just me and gus nyquist talking about daughters i can do that like we, we he's got three by the way uh he's got three of them i've got a couple we can just sit around and talk about like bluey episodes uh you know on the disney plus so uh, okay what are you guys looking forward to here over the next week a couple of games coming up uh they've got to get off the schneid on defense uc Saros has to play better uh, you just interesting stuff there from both you guys on some things that fans can look forward to from your writing, but what are we looking forward to? G- g- please take this episode and make it positive. I've been trying to do it with dogs and game rooms and rap music. Please finish us on a high note. You two.
1: I got, I got two that I think is is a pretty good high note. So Philip Tomasino, I felt not, like he was not to be he confused
0: was with the assistant coach, by the way.
1: Yeah. Not, not with Dan high note. Um, I think Philip Tomasino was the was the Predators' best player last night against Anaheim. I feel like he was hustling. He was doing all the things that are still expected of him, even though they're down five nothing. He's still he's still playing like they're they're within a goal or two. And I, I think the the hustle that you saw from him was really good. Uh, had a goal last night. Um, I don't know the exact numbers, but he's looked really good. I would say over the last week and a half, and and playing on that line with McCarron, and then you rotate Jakob, Trenton, and Cole Smith in there. That line just works. And you talk about needing. I, I hated the I love the herd line, but I hated that they were like, oh, it's the identity line, the energy line. Like they counted on them for too much. Now, when the team's struggling, I feel like the trend in McCair and Tomasino line really kind of gives them a boost. Uh, so I just I really like the way Tomasino playing. I think he's really settling into a groove, which is something I think Preds fans can be pos- can take a, take as a positive. And the other thing, too, I think is Luca Evangelista. um, Pretty boy, pretty boy, Vincenzo, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> He is tied for seventh in rookie scoring, um, seven goals, nineteen points. I, I, I did not think it halfway through the season that he would score more goals than Logan Cooley or Leo Carlson or Matthew Nyes or Zach Benson, but here we are. There, go. there we go. Um, I think he's really kind of coming into his own, and I think he—I don't want to say he was overexposed a little bit, but he was—he was the last month, month and a half, he's been playing with a lot of different line mates. He was—he re- really settled in with Tommy Novak, and then he's playing with Sherwood and. He's playing with Cody Glass and then Parson. He's kind of all over the place. But I really feel like he's finding he's comfortable in his own skin right now. And he can he can make it work with whoever they're putting him with. So I think that's another positive, too, is Luke Evangelista is maturing. He's out there. He's scoring. He's he's being productive regardless of what line mates he has. And that's something that I think is a really good positive for this team.
2: Kind of off of that, I'll go related to what you said about Tomasino being the best player on the ice last night. I have to give a shout out to one guy who I think has been a big positive and kind of a pleasant surprise this season uh, for me has been Michael McCarron. I think if you look at the goal that Tomasino had against Anaheim last night, that was all due to, you know, just really, really tenacity on the puck from McCarron. And he was able to pursue it, able to get it free, get it to Tomasino to get it into the net. And you've been seeing his game really just kind of evolve a lot this year, and he's not just a big guy that goes out and hits people. I mean, he can actually be – I mean, yeah, he is huge, so he can use his size to his advantage, and that's great. But I think we're seeing why he was a former first-round pick. I mean, you can see that he's not just – big I mean he's fast and he's aggressive and he is on the puck he hounds pucks and and he stands up for his teammates I mean he's really kind of the the consummate guy you would want on the team so I and and his point production has been up this year as well so I'm happy for him happy to see him getting rewarded uh especially as a guy who used to be you know pretty regular healthy scratch for this team it's it's nice to see him kind of in there consistently and and helping the team out that's one other positive I would say is Colton Sissons. I mean, you talked about the, the identity line, the herd line. He was obviously part of that, but I think that, and, and I did, I shameless plug. I did recently write about this for the hockey writers. So go check it out. But I think that Colton Sissons is one of the most, if not the most underrated two way forwards in the NHL. I think you're starting to see, you know, I mean, obviously he's been known primarily as a defensive forward and he's, he's very good at that part, but I think obviously, you know, he's, he's already passed his goal total from last season. He's if he keeps going at this rate, he's going to smash his career high in goals. And, you can kind of, he can play center. He can play wing. He's good in the face off circle. He can kind of play with anyone up and down the lineup and thrive in whatever position he's in. So I think that he's been a guy who's really benefited from Andrew Brunette's system. And I just think that he hasn't, you know, and especially when the team's losing, uh, in, in ugly fashion, like they did against Anaheim. I think guys like him, maybe don't get the credit they deserve. So, uh, Big, sexy, and Colton Sissons are my two positives for the week.
0: Well, and I think to both of your points about McCarron, you can feel the energy change. the The crowd responds to him. Uh, the people like him. The people love him. And and of course, he's having um, a record breaking career, record setting career. And <clears throat> it's funny. Like this is going to sound like a knock on Colton Sissons, but it's not at all. Like I I sat there and he was like doing the starting lineup, already standing there uh, on the blue line, and I was just like looking at him because I first met him in 2016, like in his second season, he's like 22 years old or something at the time. And I had not yet like gotten married or had kids yet. And it was like, I was in a different phase of life. And I remember, I remember looking at Colton Sissons and talking to my buddy who was a a writer with me at the game. And we were trying to figure out like how many people are still around from the cup run. Obviously Sissons with the hat trick, you got Yossi. Saros was like extremely young on that team as a backup to Renee, but Sissons is of course, one of the biggest names. And that was like Forsberg and and that's it. Like you, there's nobody else left from that group. And I could see, I could like see the last 10 years of my life in Colton Sissons hairline. Like I could, <laughs> I, I I don't know. It's again, it's not meant to be a knock on him. Cause I think he's one of the best players of this generation of Preds hockey. That's to your point, Emma, very underrated, but like I could see he looked so different. <laughs> <laughs> like then i remember when i first met him back in like 2016 and i just he's just changed a lot he's just a different guy and and he's but his game has not his game you can is tell
2: he's he's seen some things you know right. and his, his, yes. his hairline yes. has seen some things nhl
0: but. nhl year one nhl year is like three human years you know, yeah. like, like, and I've, and I've aged as many years as he has in like his eight, eight years. In, in <laughs> well, we're,
2: we're also not going to call him old because he and no, I are he's the only, same he's age. Only so. 30. <laughs> so no, but I think that, you know, he's like I said, very underrated, both on the ice, off the ice in the locker room. He's a huge leader, even though he's not officially, you know, part of the leadership group, he wears the a, if one of those guys gets yeah. injured. But in every leadership meeting they have, and I, I have learned this from being around the team for so long, that he is always included in those meetings. It's always Yossi, the two alternate captains, and Sissens all the time. So he's a guy that the, the players really look up to. So I just wanted to give him some credit.
0: Well, I've always thought that he, to your point, I've always enjoyed his game, thought he was one of the most underrated players. And I mean, I think it's fitting that he has one of the most, if not the most historic game in in Predators history, uh, of course, in game six with the hat trick. Coming up on Friday and Saturday, back-to-back against Dallas and New York, the Islanders there, and then against Vegas. So we'll see how this team responds to some adversity, which again, Michael and I have been telling you all was going to happen at some point this season. So ride the roller coaster with everybody else at Bridgestone Arena. We'll see what happens for next week. It cannot be worse than giving up six goals to the 14th place team. In the, in the Western Conference and giving up five goals to the 12th place team. 11 combined goals to the 12th and 14th place teams in the Western Conference, respectively. Not good hockey. So it only only can go up from here. So we shall see. Uh, Emma, where can people find you?
2: Uh, they can find me at the Hockey Writers, thehockeywriters.com or on Twitter, Instagram, any of your basic social media platforms at Emma underscore Lingen.
0: There you go. Mike? Where can everybody find you? Nashville Hockey Now. Pay for a good subscription over there. A couple of bucks a month. Get some good journalism. Uh, Where can people get to you?
1: Yeah, uh, Twitter at ngsports underscore, the Nashville Hockey Now Facebook Twitter
0: account as well, and the Nashville Hockey Now website. You can get to me at Braden Gall on twitter.com, and we're all about to wade back into that sewer to rumor about the Alabama head coaching job. Okay, Uh, thank you guys for hanging out. Thank you guys for listening. Go to Jasper's, of course, everybody. Uh, Enjoy the week of hockey, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.